All right, so we're into week three, which is our final week of this um, message, this series on hope. And we're looking at this topic of hope and we've been exploring uh, what it is to have a hope that aligns with what Scripture says. A key verse for this series, you probably know it, maybe you've memorized it, is this one. It's from Romans 15, 13, and it says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We started a few weeks ago with this question of saying, what is hope? And we looked at this idea of um, uh, hope that is wishful thinking, and that is, you know, that the car park at the shops won't be busy or that you'll win the lottery. Um, whatever it is, hope that is wishful thinking. We saw hope that is based on a reasonable expectation where we weigh up the odds and we consider that the possible outcome, uh, this, uh, this expectation, uh, is likely. But we know that both of those types of hope are fraud because there's no guarantee about them. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've had this uh, hopeful expectation of something and the odds were in my favor and it didn't pan out. And that can actually be really, really demoralizing. And we've seen too a few weeks ago that we as a community have a bit of a hope problem. We looked at the statistics and I won't share them with you again today, but we looked at the statistics that say we have a hope problem. We live in a prosperous, well-educated, peaceful society, and yet there is a huge problem with people feeling hopeless. And I'd suggest to you this afternoon that there is a reason for this. There is a reason why, even though all of the things that we would think would give us firm hope, why all of those things are not enough to give us an enduring hope. In the book of Job, and, and you can turn if you want, but um, we're only just touching on it very briefly. In Job 8.13, one of Job's friends in the midst of this great speech says this little phrase that I think really sums it up. He says, those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. And you might say, well, that can't be right because I've met really hopeful people who don't know about God or who aren't uh, Christians. But remember we saw in the story of Job this incredible um, contrast that comes through biblical hope. We mentioned a few weeks ago that Job lost his wealth, he lost his children, he lost his own health, and he's sitting there in the ground, in the dirt and the dust. And he says this, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Imagine, just imagine for a moment a hope that enables you to sit there, having had everything taken from you, that enables you to sit there and say, my world has fallen apart, I've lost everything this situation may even lead to my death, and yet I still have hope. What an incredible hope that is. It's not optimism. Optimism says it's not actually that bad. What hope says is it's terrible. It's really bad, and yet there is still hope. And yet there is still 
hope. And this is what we've seen is our biblical hope. It is hope that is built on a sure foundation. The Bible tells us it is a hope that gives us a complete and abiding confidence of what lies ahead of us. An absolute assurance of the promises of God that is not wishful thinking. It is locked in and assured. That is the enduring hope that we can know in Christ. Paul talks about it, and this is what this verse is talking about. His prayer for the church in Rome is that they would have this... Um, Lives that are overflowing with joy and peace, that they would have a hope that is overflowing in their lives. And we think, well, is that actually possible? Well, absolutely it is. But I tell you what, I find it challenging because probably just like you, I have my hope-filled days and I have my days where things get on top of me a little bit and I feel more hopeless than hope-filled. But I'm confident, and I want to race us through this over the next 15 minutes. I'm confident that this type of hope that Job talks about and that we see presented in Scripture, a hope that is above our circumstances, is not an unachievable target. It's not an unrealistic thing in the life of, that, uh, in the life of most of us and only possible for that super-Christian, that really holy um, person who prays for 10 hours a day and reads their Bible and doesn't watch TV and just... You know, it is, it is something that is, is perfectly achievable in the life of you and I because it is a promise of God and it is outlined in his word. It is a truth of scripture. And so I want to ask you today, this is the premise for our third message in this series. I want to ask you, what is the source of your hope? What is the source of your hope? I suggest today that we hope in different things. Many of us put our hope in relationships. We put our hope in uh, our careers. We put our hope in material um, possessions. Some of you even put your hope in sporting teams. And probably not if you're a Raiders supporter. Um, but the rest of us might. Um, I couldn't help myself, sorry, any Raiders supporters. Um, but, I, but we place our hope in a whole lot of different things. And I'd say to you, if you don't know what you place your hope in, it is what, if it goes wrong, breaks your world apart. So if it's a relationship that goes wrong, or if it's your career or your workplace that goes wrong, or if your car gets totaled, or if your footy team loses all the time, and it just rocks your world, that is the place where you're putting your hope. That is a, the basis, the source of your hope. And so I want to challenge you as we work through this little passage, and we're going to go to the book of Hebrews this afternoon. Encourage you to turn there if you've got your Bibles with you. We're going to spend a moment in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Because here is presented to us the source of hope that is eternal, that is abiding, and that is for you and I who know Christ a guarantee. There's some interesting stuff that comes before and um, we definitely don't have time for it this afternoon. But in the little section that comes before, and I'll give you a really brief summary so the first line of the Hebrews passage makes sense. Uh, the writer has been talking about Abraham and he's been... 
talking about this promise that God gave to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And it's saying that God gave this promise to Abraham, which he also sealed with an oath. Now, oaths are not something that are common practice here, but it was almost this step that two people would do if their word wasn't considered enough and there was a lack of certainty about whether or not they would actually do what they had promised. They would swear an oath, which was like a binding agreement. And what we see is that because of, not because of God's nature, but because of Abraham's nature to doubt and you and my nature to doubt the word of God, that God not only gave his word as a promise, but he also swore an oath. The writer is saying that God has gone the extra mile to convince you that his word is true and to convince you of the guaranteed nature of his promise. And so he says this in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. So these two things, talking about the promise and the oath. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. So he starts with this example. Look what God did for Abraham. Look at God's faithfulness. He's promised Abraham. And look, it will be the same for you because God doesn't change. It is actually against his very nature for him to lie, to not tell the truth. And so just like like God was faithful to Abraham, he will be faithful to you. That's the point he's making. He will be faithful to you. Did you know that there are 7,000, there are over 7,000 promises in scripture? Over 7,000. I won't go through them all with you this afternoon. Um, You'll be pleased. But there are 7,000 things that God has said in his word that are guaranteed that are not maybe if God is having a good day or if God makes up his mind to do it, they are absolutely guaranteed. That alone should give us hope. And if you want to know what some of those things are, um, come and see me and I'll give you a little summary. But let's read from verse 18 here. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone before us. And so when we look at this, we see two images, and I want to touch on them both briefly. The first one is we see this image of an anchor. Now, I really know nothing about boats. I spent the first 13, 14 years of my life on the coast, but really couldn't tell you very much about boats. But I do know a couple of things about anchors, and the um, people that were reading this letter would have known quite a lot about them as well. I once heard it said that as long as you've got a boat that has a sealed bottom and an anchor, everything else is just a bonus. That is kind of how significant anchors are in boats. But you see, the people reading this would have known a couple of things about anchors, and that is, firstly, that they are vital in a storm. You see, they would be in their their boats fishing or whatever, and they would, if they saw the storm coming, they would try and get back to shore. But if they couldn't, they would drop an anchor that would slow the vessel in the wind and help them to stay safely, to stop them being blown into rocks or to stop them um, their vessel being damaged. 
The second thing they would have known about anchors is that they are really vital in calm weather as well. I once went in a little dinghy with some friends and we were out fishing and we didn't catch anything, but apparently that doesn't matter when you're fishing. That's what I've been told. So I tell people. But we were out in a little dinghy and we were immersed in conversation and probably an hour or two later, it was this beautiful calm day, not a bit of wind, but an hour or two later I kind of looked up around me at the, the landscape and noticed that we had gone a long, long way from where we started. You see, anchors, I mean, we hadn't dropped the anchor, but if we had, we would have stayed steady in the place where we wanted to be, but instead we had drifted. But the third thing about anchors, which I was kind of blown away with, was that anchors were actually used as a tool for navigating before things like GPS or sonar were in vessels. They would use the anchor for navigation. You see, one of the riskiest things that they could do as, as a captain of a boat was to go through narrow headlands into the safety of a harbour because there'd often be uh, rocky outcrops, there would be reefs, there would be sandbars. And so what they would do is that they would sometimes in particularly difficult places, they would get the anchor and they would actually drop it into a small vessel, like a lifeboat, a life raft kind of thing. They would drop it in there and that would take, they would, that boat would take the anchor through the danger and then place it into the rock or the, the, the um, ocean floor in the safety of the harbour and then the captain uh, would follow through and that, that anchor would kind of pull the boat through the, uh, the rocky outcrops and the reefs and take them safely into the harbour. Sometimes this little boat, and you might see that text in your Bible, depending on what version you've got, but sometimes this little dinghy would actually be called a forerunner. It would actually be called a forerunner. They would put the anchor in and it would take it in and it would get the boat there safely. You see, this image of the anchor is one that communicates strength. It is one that communicates safety. It is one uh, that uh, communicates all of those things. But that's what the writer is saying to us is the offer of hope. Our hope is an anchor for our soul. It keeps us safe and stable during the fiercest storms, but it also keeps us in the right place in the times of calm and it stops us from drifting. It is the direction through which we can navigate our lives. That's what the anchor, this hope is. But you'll notice the second part says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And we have a second image here, a second uh, image that we might not be familiar with, but the readers of the time absolutely would have known about. And that is because the Old Testament um, Israelites were a nation that lived in tents. It would literally be just this sea of tents as they moved from place to place, but always in the center of their camp would be this big tent complex called the tabernacle. And within the tabernacle, this large kind of walled space, they would set up these other tents, and inside these other tents were various curtains um, and various veils. You might see that in your Bible. Um, And within the centermost one of these, which was called the Holy of Holies, that was the very place where God dwelt. The very presence of God resided in that place. And within that place was this small chest. And on top of that small chest was a cup. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest of the Israelites would take a small um, 
a saucer of, of an animal sacrifice of the blood of an animal and would take it in there and pour it out onto the chest, which was called the mercy seat of God. To present God with this sacrifice, to seek God's forgiveness of their sins. It was an annual event. It was the most sacred of ceremonies for them. And I can just imagine the people outside while this ceremony is going on and they are waiting expectantly for the priest to reemerge from the Holy of Holies and to know that God has graciously forgiven them of their sins. That God has graciously forgiven them of their sins. And so the first century Jews who were reading this would have known all about that. And so when they know about anchors, that this is where our hope is anchored in the Holy of Holies, this place where God's very presence dwelled, the place where this atonement was carried out and the restoration of God's people to himself would occur. And this is an incredible and enduring promise that the writer is now describing that you and I have. Not just once, not just on one day are we made right with God, but yet our life, the hope of our life is anchored there. That despite the storms that might blow up around us, despite the difficulties we might face, even in the calm weather, that our hope is anchored there where God dwells. And it tells us that this is the eternal promise because Jesus, our eternal high priest, has gone ahead of us and he dwells there. He dwells there. And so it is a promise. Our hope is anchored in a promise of full restoration with God, of the forgiveness of our sins, of being made right with the Creator. You know, when I think about this, I think that one of the greatest robbers of our hope is doubt. Sometimes when we go through particular difficult times, we ask, where is God in this? Does God not exist or does God not care about me? And I wonder if you've experienced that. I think most people who have lived for any time have probably had seasons of doubt. I can almost guarantee it because it's part of our human nature to doubt. And this is our promise, is that the high priest, that Christ, this constant priest, not once a year but forever, resides there. He lives there. And he represents your needs to the Father on your behalf. And that is where your hope is anchored. And so I'd encourage you, as we wrap up this afternoon, let's come back to the question of where is the source of your hope? Or what is the source of your hope? Because maybe you need to realign that this afternoon. Maybe you need to realign it. Because I'm going to ask you two more things as we finish. And that is, do you need to remind yourself of the enduring hope that you have in Christ? Do you need to remind yourself of the enduring hope you have in Christ? Do you remember back at the start, we shared from, I shared from Job and it, was, it said, those who forget God have no hope. You know, some of the people that are most prone to forgetting about God are Christians. We get immersed in life. We try and fix our difficulties ourselves. We um, struggle uh, with the day-to-day or the rhythms of life, and yet we forget of the hope that we have in Christ. The psalmist writes in Psalm 42, 11, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? But he responds with this, 
Put your hope in God. Speaking to himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He starts preaching to himself. He starts declaring to himself, my soul, why are you so downcast? Why am I so disturbed? But yet I will put my hope in God. I will realign myself back to my Savior and my God. And I wonder if some of you this afternoon, this afternoon need to be doing that, need to be realigning the source of your hope, away from where it's been and back into this place, this holy of holies, where it represents the eternal promise to you of restoration, of salvation, and put your hope back there. And the second thing I want to ask you this afternoon as we finish is, do you know... Do you know the enduring hope that comes through having an eternity secured with Christ? Do you know that enduring hope? Because if you're listening this afternoon and you're thinking, well, how could you possibly have a hope that transcends, that endures, that sees all of the terrible things of life occur and yet still remain hopeful? How is that even possible? Well, this is the promise of God to you. The promise that when you step into relationship with Christ and you step out of your wayward living, of your running from Christ, that you can have that eternally or you will have that eternally secured source of hope that comes through knowing Christ. The promise of an eternal life, of of being made right with God. And Scripture gives us a really simple path to that. It says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no special ceremony. There are no list of good works that you have to fill out. Instead, there is a confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is the resurrected living Lord, and then you will be saved. And so I want to, as we close this afternoon, would you bow your heads with me? And I want to give you that opportunity this afternoon that if you don't know Christ, if you are sitting there thinking, you know what, that hope would be amazing, but how can I even have that? How can I have a hope that endures beyond my circumstances? How can I have my eternity secured? Maybe you're one of those one in two, the people who have been thinking during this season about your own mortality, about what happens when I die. And what the scripture gives us is it gives us this glorious image of death not being the end, but rather being the opportunity to step into eternity with God. And so I'd encourage you this afternoon that if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? You can pray it just in in your heart or in your head, or you can say it out loud quietly. Dear Lord, I thank you for this promise that comes through Jesus. I thank you for the offer of eternal life that comes through knowing him. Lord, I'm sorry for my wayward living. I'm sorry that I've tried to be Lord over my own life. And I ask that you would come and take control. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your death and your resurrection. And I thank you for the promise of eternal life that comes through knowing you. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd encourage you to let one of us know. You can come and chat with me. You can chat with James or Greg and Margo or Abby. We'd love to know, not so we can do anything strange or so we can make you come up the front and tell everyone or anything like that, but rather so that we can encourage you, so that we can give you some things that will help you on your journey, so we can pray for you and with you, and so we can walk that out each day with you. And so I'd encourage you, um, isn't it an incredible thing This we have this hope that is firm and is secured, that is guaranteed in Jesus? Isn't that an incredible thing? As we close out this series, I'd love to just pray this benediction over you one more time. And so join me as we pray. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.